This is LBC from Global. Leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Steve here. Over the next hour, I'm going to bring you the highlights from my early breakfast show this week. Don't forget, I'm with you every weekday morning from four until seven and on the weekends from five till seven. And here's some of what caught my attention this week. I don't know why we're bothering about Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Who gives a toss? I couldn't care less. If they divorce, it's not my business. It's their marriage. But we, we sort of, it's, it's a, an easy one because the papers have got nothing else to write about. And in, in some of the papers, it's taken up four and five pages. Makes you wonder what they would have put in there had they not had that brilliant news that came through. It's just an American couple who've both been married before and who are getting divorced again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Brad and Angelina at the front of every paper. Who cares? She always looks a bit as if she's got a little funny smell underneath her nose. And, um... He apparently smoked dope and boozed daily. I mean, you're going to read all of the claptrap now. He cheated with, uh, with hookers, flew into a rage around the kids. This is why she allegedly dumped him. It just goes on and on and on. Does, it, does anybody really care? I can't do this anymore, she goes. And um, they're claiming that he had an affair with, uh, with one of his co-stars in the World War II drama Allied in London earlier this year. Um, I mean, just who cares? They're worth 300 million. So presumably they'll sort of split. She'll keep the kids and she will get the majority of the money. I'm assuming, but I don't know. And to be honest with you, I really couldn't care less. It doesn't doesn't affect my life in any way, shape or form. Steve Allen on LBC. They were recommending um, the Bake Off programme to be presented by, they reckon, Davina McCall and Claire Balding. So, I mean, you could do, because Claire's hardly ever on the television. So she could be doing Bake Off on Channel 4. That'd be quite good, wouldn't it? Cooking from a lesbian point of view. You know, that, I, just, I just quite fancy that idea. She could do it with her girlfriend, Alice. They could do it together. Why not? Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And who's the other one? You could put Mary, Queen of Shops on there. She could do it. We could have an entire lesbian Bake Off. What a brilliant idea. What a brilliant idea. Super... Oh, maybe not Superkins. But we could have Superkins, whose girlfriend is currently presenting the Naked Attraction uh, programme. It could just be an entire lesbian-based programme, which I think would be brilliant. What a fantastic... God, I wish I'd I'd trademarked that. The Great Lesbian Bake Off. What a brilliant idea. Why has nobody thought of that before? And that that would just sort of... That would really, you know, say to all the people who are sort of anti-gay on the television, yeah, we're doing a big television programme. I think that'd be great, actually. It'd be so funny. You just don't want any of them to sort of, you know, start swapping partners or something like that. But I think that... What a brilliant idea. Yeah, you could have... Yes, you could definitely have all of them with their partners on there and make a really good programme about it. You don't want the gay one because they all turn out to be Marys like Ryland and Judge Rinder, don't they? Or Justice Rinder, as he's called, who isn't a judge at all. He's a barrister. They're just sort of calling that. That would just have to be something very camp on the television, which would have such minority appeal that nobody would really care about it. Steve Allen on LBC. Temporary Parliament must be out of London. You know when they close down Parliament because they need all this money spending on it before the thing falls to pieces? And I've thought of a great place to send them to. Basingstoke. I thought if we send Parliament to Basingstoke, luckily they can disappear on one of the many roundabouts out there and we don't need to worry about Parliament ever again. Because this, and I think it's going to cost, did they say something like a billion pounds 
They were coming up with some ludicrous amount of money. I hope they got different um, different quotes in. But I suspect it'll all be, you know, people go, oh, no, no well, I know a company that does it. They, they do all sorts of things here. Because you're, you're trying to restore a, biz, a, a building that's hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of years old. And I, I do like it, actually. I do like it. But I'm not particularly bothered about where they are. I don't care whether they stay there or whether they go to, uh, to somewhere else. But I do think Basingstoke would be, uh, would be a good place, actually. Basingstoke. How about Slough, says Dean? Oh, no. Slough. I mean, Slough is, is a ghastly, horrible place, as you're well known. Uh, but, uh, no, I think if we're sending them, Basingstoke's a bit, bit further out. Let's send Parliament further out. Uh, is it 4.2 billion? Is that what they're saying? To spend on... Good God. Can't they... I mean, there must... I mean, couldn't we all club together and do it as part of a Nick Knowles show? Nick Knowles could go in there and he could get people to donate their services for free. And we could save 4.2 billion... And then we could put it to something else, like, you know, permanent ice cream vans outside here in the morning and a burger van or something. But, uh, I mean, you should get it to... Or Annika Rice could get some people together. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? I'm, I'm, I'll have a word with Nick Knowles and say, listen, how's the Parliament needs doing? I mean, if, I remember when uh, Ground Force, with Alan Titchmarsh and Charlie Get Your Boobs Out Dimmock, uh, they went off to do um, Nelson Mandela's garden. Oh, it's lovely, thank you. Very lovely. He had the faintest idea who they were. Not a clue. Uh, we've done the garden for you, sir, and all this kind of thing. I thought it was great. I loved the programme. I was, I was big, big fan, big fan of Ground Force. We liked Tommy Walsh and Tommy's sidekick, who was Irish, but I can't remember what his name was. And Alan Titchmarsh, because we just like Alan Titchmarsh. And uh, Charlie Dimmock, because she never wore a bra. And that's, that's what she became famous for. And now, of course, they're practically down by her knees, poor soul. It's all terribly embarrassing. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't know what she does now. I can't remember. Uh, Steve, please do not send Parliament to Basingstoke. Why not the ex-capital? Winchester. By the way, Charlie Dimmock is on daytime television garden show now. Still no bra and that dreadful hair. And she's put on a lot of weight. Oh, God, I think we've all put on a lot of weight over the years. Is she still not wearing a bra? That was the selling point of the programme. I remember thinking, how odd... And so people used to like it when she used to lean over. She used to put in water features. Every time she put in a water feature, I headed for the bathroom. There was something about running water. You'd be sitting there going, oh, don't do the running water thing again, please. I need to go to the toilet. So, in fact, I saw very little of Charlie Dimmock and her, her braless adventures out in the garden. Because every time they sort of they, they, they dug this uh, hole or they put a thing in and they put some stones around it and then the water would start. Oh, God, toilet again. I'm strangely affected by that. Steve Allen on LBC. Oh, look, it's a lovely picture. I'm sorry to mention it early in the morning, but it's nice to see a picture of poor old Katie Price thinking she looks sexy as opposed to she looks slightly odd. She just looks very odd with this sort of peculiar hair and she's promoting her latest autobiography called Reborn, which is sort of, you know, that's what's called amoeba. I think it would actually go so a little bit better, wouldn't it, really? But the trouble is, she can't look sexy anymore. And the amount of makeup she's got trolled on there, trowled on, no, trolled on, I think would be better, you know, just makes her look a little bit ridiculous. And all the people writing in say, Katie Price, Michelle has the real talent, you don't. Yes, I mean, Katie Price doesn't have any talent. She can't read, she can't write, you know, very well. We know she can't. Uh, write because all her books are ghosted everything even her novels are ghosted. everything's ghosted she can't do anything she's sort of become a bit of a joke figure and of course if she's not careful we're going to be laughing at the kids as well now which is not very good is it not supposed to be laughing at children but you know apparently princess is going to have an instagram account where she's going to be giving makeup lessons god do us a favor please please do us a favor just go far far away and da, 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 ta, watch the Celebrity Homes programme with Sarah Harding. You're so right about her. What a silly, silly woman, says Pat. Yeah. 
She's, I mean, I didn't see the programme, but she's a bit of an attention seeker. And she's, I think she's really lonely. I think she's, you know, she's tried the singing, she's tried the acting, she's tried both, and it's not, uh, not really succeeding very well, is it? So I don't know what she does. I bet she couldn't even stack shelves properly. Steve Allen on LBC. I tweeted loads of things in the car this morning, and F- Phil Vickery re-retweeted me. Well, he liked, actually. I'm fed up with a runny nose and sore... I got really cross yesterday. There's nothing worse than having a... It's not a cold. It's just some sort of little malfunction inside, I think. I, I, mean, I, don't, know, I don't know what it is. But it just makes me angry, because you end up getting through loads of handkerchiefs. You can't use tissues, because tissues make your nose go all crusty, and so you can't use tissues. So you end up having to use handkerchiefs. You know, proper handkerchiefs. I've gotten through about 30 handkerchiefs. <laughs> How many have I got? 30. So I've got through all the hankies, so there's a washing machine whizzing around at the moment with loads of hankies in it. It's such a pain, it really is. I don't like having a runny nose, but yet yesterday we did Darren Brown, and he's got exactly the same. He's got the same, the same cold kind of thing. It's not a cold. I don't, I'm trying to give it to the producer. It's, uh, you know. Sorry, Dolly? Never complain. I never complain about anything. I'm very good. Per- I'm, I'm lucky, actually. I can have a cold. I never mention it. I'm not that sort of person. Some people go, oh, of course you care, Malcolm, and all that kind of... I don't do that. I just fill a programme. I could do ten minutes on having a blasted cold and get away with it. But I don't moan about it. So I was sitting in the car this morning, and I was, I was tweeting about nothing in particular. And I said, of course, you can always tell when I'm bored, because I tweet a lot in the car. It's either that or I go to sleep. And I woke up early. So I decided to have a really long shower this morning, and that was quite nice. I sat there on my little stool and uh, had a little shower, you know. We were sort of, it, was, it was quite nice, actually. I, sort of, I was in the shower, like, really early. And I got myself ready, and then I started watching a programme about saving somebody's life in hospital, which I found terribly... This, this was a man who'd been on a bicycle, and he'd been crushed by a bus, which had literally... I mean, he was bleeding internally, but they didn't know where he was bleeding internally. And it was a, it was a matter of life and death to get him into surgery... And to, to, to make him better again. And I got so depressed by it, I had to turn it off in the end. I thought, I can't watch this. So I never did discover if he actually lived or if he, if he died. They, they were talking about how dangerous it was. You know, you go out on a cycle. It doesn't matter whether you're here, you're in the Outer Hebrides. It doesn't matter where you are. It's the fact that if a, if a vehicle comes up against you, it can crush you. In the same way that cows, we've heard of people who walked across fields in the countryside, which I used to do as a kid, uh, but we were fit, we, we could sort of run, and cows and bulls and things like that. If one of those came up against you and sort of leant against you, you could be crushed to death. You've seen the size of cows, they're absolutely enormous. So, anyway, so going back to the cold, which I'm not mentioning very often, I'm just doing it in sympathy for those people who don't have a voice because you probably lost it through the cold, and who are probably sort of fed up with sort of, you know, I mean, to blow your nose every five minutes. And I mean, it must be awful. I mean, imagine if you're sort of just about to go off on shift. If you're a copper or you're working in a hospital, you go, oh, God, I really don't feel like it. Because you wake up and you feel a bit, don't you? You feel a bit deflated. Uh, I never feel deflated. I always bounce out of bed and always sort of, I can't wait to come into work. You know, it's great. You can have a nice cup of coffee. I can read the papers. I can watch, you know, videos. I could do all sorts of things and have a nice time. But uh, if you sit at home, you can get yourself into a dreadfully morose situation. So I'll try not to do it. And then I thought I'll be healthy. I'll really be healthy. So I bought blueberries yesterday. Eat blueberries. Steve Allen on LBC. Yesterday, the ultimate happened. We were going out for breakfast in Marylebone High Street. And we came down a little street. It's, uh, it's very near Madame Tussauds, across the other side of the road. And as we cross over one street into another, all of a sudden, 
we saw these cars with blue flashing lights, but not blue flashing lights on the roof, in the engine of the car. They've got them in the front and they've got them in the back headlights, little blue flashing lights. And they corralled this car into the side of the road. As we were, I parked, we, we stopped in the middle of the road. And the police officers jumped out, plain clothes, dragged the passenger out, face down onto the ground, seriously face down. Then another two unmarked police cars turned up. Then two police cars turned up. By, the, by this time, we've got about seven police cars. We thought we heard shots being fired. We, my, the, the passenger said to me, he said, I've just heard three shots. It sounded like bang, 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 like that. We didn't know what it was, whether or not they'd hit the car. And, uh, and they dragged this person out. And they were on the pavement and they're sort of there. There's a, a woman uh, undercover officer. They were all undercover officers. And then as we'd gone round the back again, because we drove round twice, just to have a, a quick look at it, as you do, because I thought maybe they're filming. Perhaps it's the bill or something they brought back. And they've got this bloke on the, on the ground with his hands pinned behind his back. So uh, then we go round the back and there's a white van, small van, looked like a delivery van. But again, we'd seen it going round. But this time it's got little blue flashing lights in the in the engine, which you can see. And it's uh, it, it, it's it's sort of a case of, oh, my God, he was parked because they were obviously trying to block an exit. Now, the bloke that they dragged out, I didn't know anything about. We were trying to work out who he was. What had he done? But he came from the passenger side. The driver ran off. Big fat bloke. He ran off down down the road. And the police officers didn't know that he'd gone. They were too busy concentrating. And then all hell broke loose. So anyway, so we don't, we, we're sort of quite excited by this. Go and have breakfast. 35, 40 minutes later, we get back into the car and go round to see if they've left anything on the pavement. They're still there with this bloke. He's still there by the side of the road being propped up by two police officers. One now in uniform and, the, uh, and all the unmarked cars and everything else. So you couldn't drive up that road because it was blocked. And there's police officers everywhere still looking... For the bloke who ran off. It was terribly exciting. I mean, it really was terribly exciting. You think, God, we're watching this in broad daylight. Never discovered exactly what it was, but I'm sure that we will. Steve Allen on LBC. One of the things I do if I can't sleep is check LBC's websites. News reports are normally better than the other sites. It's been changed. They've changed the website. It's been updated. It's got tons more stuff on it. If you've not seen it, Go to it. It's lbc.co.uk. They only launched it yesterday, so it might take you a bit of time to find things. But uh, but you, you will... F- oh, look. I get my picture on the top of the website. God, I'm good looking. That, yeah, all right. It doesn't matter whether I'm on air or not. It's the fact that I'm on top of the website and you're not. OK, that's the difference. That's the difference. It's the Steve Allen show. Not the Steve Allen show with a lot of hindrance from an Australian with a silly little beard, is it, really? OK? It's just the Steve Allen show. On air now, Steve Allen. Four till seven. And so you get that... I, wonder, I can't remember what year that was taken. 1860, I think, or something like that. And then you can, you can sort of contact... Oh, it's an even better picture. Oh, go back to that one. Look at that, honestly. Just so predictable, aren't you? As a producer, there's no humour. There's no... Well, there's loads of things. Steve Allen met Chris Moyles. Steve Allen's moving tribute to his mum's cancer. Steve Allen's... Good God, there's all sorts of... Oh, the Chinese takeaway stories on there. He loves that one. Steve Allen in conversation with Ray Liotta. There's Beverly Knight. There's Piers Morgan. Go down. Who else we got? Oh, then the Steve Allen wins the prestigious gold award. Jimmy Carr. There's uh, touching tribute to Paul Daniels. Rob Bryden. God, blimey, there's tons of stuff on there. Steve Allen again. James Martin. Phil Collins. Amanda Abington. We talk, there's loads... Yeah, Phil... What do you mean, Phil Collins? When the stars are in town. Eddie Izzard. 
like Jesse Izzard. I really did. Alexander Armstrong, I love. Who's that other one? Go down, go down. Oh, it's John John Krasinski as well. Richard Hammond, Hugh Bonneville. God, blimey, David Tennant. I've forgotten how many nice people we've spoken to. Seriously. And coming up, as you know, next week, I've got Justin Timberlake coming in. on the. Pr- they're all a bit jealous about that. Somebody say, oh, I'm going to come in. At- no, you're not. Absolutely not. You're coming, no- you're coming nowhere near the studio. It's a closed lockdown studio. I do not entertain people just coming to gawp at celebrities. LBC's website. I've got all sorts of things on there. Well, me, mainly, and everybody else. Oh, there's also uh, little bits with uh, James O'Brien's Magical Hour. That's very good. And, uh, and then presumably somewhere on there. Oh, there's Make Some Noise. Oh, lovely. Go, go and check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Allen on LBC. Somebody says, if you check out the website, you'll see it's the Mystery Hour. These people are so stupid. You know, so stupid. It's the Magical Hour. I don't know where you're getting this from. It's ridiculous. Uh, 84850, uk, And uh, did you hear you say O'Brien has a magical hour on his show? No. I didn't say that at all. He has a mystery hour on his show. He has a magical hour in the office. I didn't say it was on his radio show. Why don't people listen? You see, that's the trouble. You know, once you get dimbos who can't hear properly, and I say he's actually got a magical hour, and people write and go, no, it's a mystery hour. That's on his radio programme. I can't be dealing with you if you're that stupid. Seriously, if you're not fit for purpose, I have to just lose you completely. You know, because it's just, I mean, you're just quite clearly as thick as a plank. It's a magical hour. I told you we discuss it in the office. It's magical hour. Oh, goodness me. Oh, we've had such fun at your expense this morning. So now Paul has sent me a thing saying, no, it's James O'Brien's The Mystery Hour. You're You're not getting it, are you, really, at all? It's quite funny. In the office, he has his magical hour. I didn't say he had a he had a, a mystery. He had a magical hour on the radio. If you find me saying that, for goodness sake, tell me and I'll give you a thousand quid. Because I just said he has a magical hour. And everybody's going, no, 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 he has a mystery hour. I'm not interested in the one on the radio. The one we have in the office is the magical hour. And we were discussing it yesterday. And so people keep writing in. It's very worrying. Steve Allen on LBC. John says, uh, I love the way you can talk about nothing. I know, it's fantastic, isn't it? I am king of the wafflers. I can talk about nothing and make it entertaining. And that, as they say in the business, is a bit of a, a bit of an art form. It is. I mean, somebody said to me, so, you know, do you ever dry up? I said, no. Why would you ever dry up? I get paid for talking. I said, but if ever I, I do dry up, I can then spend ten minutes talking about drying up. So there's always an out for it. I mean, I, I have met people in the business who go, how do you just keep talking? I said, well, mainly the lure of a cheque at the end of the month is actually quite, uh, quite positive. And so, and you, and you do it, you know, on, on game shows. You know, so in other words, if, if somebody gives you a theme, you can, you can talk about it for 20 minutes. I've always said I could actually talk about, you know, uh, trumpets for 20 minutes. Because luckily I was in a brass band, so I can talk about trumpets and learning how to play them and the fingering and everything else on, on there, because I couldn't read music. As long as I knew the tune, I was all right, and the bandmaster would put down... You see, I can talk about trumpets and flugelhorns and cornets for about the next hour and a half easily. And he would put down... So, because you've got three, three valves in there, the worst thing is about, about playing trumpets and cornets and flugelhorns is that you go... Like that, you spit into it. So every so often, you have to hold the little valve open at the bottom, and a trickle of phlegm comes out onto the floor. It's the messiest thing ever watching brass bands, because otherwise, if you don't do that, it gurgles. 
And it sounds worse because you've built up all this phlegm, but you do spit into it. You go... And the reason I got a flugelhorn is because my lips weren't big enough to play a euphonium. I wanted a euphonium because I thought euphonium... A bit like like the sound of music where they're doing the lonely goat herd. So I I can do the sound of music as well now. So that could take me on to another tangent. So effectively, you can talk about nothing quite easily. You know, I could talk about computers. I can talk about, you know, telephones. I could talk about carrier bags, if you like. Steve Allen on LBC. The news that we had this morning is that Bross could be back on the road. I know, we couldn't believe it either. We couldn't believe it either, because uh, this report in the paper says that uh, this European tour could bag them £10 million. No. I just, I just don't see it. I'm, I'm trying to think of all the, all the logistics behind it. They haven't done anything over the years. I don't think the back catalogue was, was enough to... I shouldn't imagine it's generated anything. I really, you know, I haven't seen any let's bring out an anniversary album from Bross. They haven't spoken to each other for ages and ages. But now they say, because they're both 47 now. 47? Doesn't seem possible, does it? I mean, that's practically 50. They were adored by teen fans. I remember watching them on Wogan. You know, Bross love you, yeah. They were lampooned by French and Saunders, who sort of blew themselves up. So, yeah, Bross, Bross, we love you, yeah. All this kind of thing. They upset the press one time when they turned up at a big restaurant in town. Uh, in their trademark jeans and sort of with their bleach blonde hair and everything else, which subsequently fell out, um, the, the press turned their back on them. The boys had to apologise. Really sorry, guys. Really sorry. And they then got their pictures back again. But uh, up till then, the press had, uh, had uh, really dumped them at all. But uh, that was 1987. 1987. Debts and savage infighting saw the siblings split in 92. Now the middle-aged pop stars are about to set heart racing again with a comeback tour. Who's going to go and see it? Who's going to go and see it? I mean, I can't imagine who'd be going to see it. There's no Craig, so there's just the two of them. It's going to have to... They're going to have to have a lot of musicians backing them up. Because I didn't ever see them when they went live. I don't even know if they did live tours before. I suppose they must have done. Uh, but I never went to go and see them. But we do remember, of course, after I took the mickey out of them, that uh, Matt, who was three sheets to the wind, turned up at our studios, shouting the odds and uh, basically being just a vile little bit. Oh, threatening all sorts of things. If I'd recorded it, that would have gone... I could have taken him to court. I could have had him for threatening behaviour. I'm going to kill you. Nobody messes with the bros twin... All this kind of gubbins we got from him. It was ridiculous. You know, and then he said, who is he? Because it went into the papers. My boss was delighted. He said, you're in the papers. I said, he was vile. I mean, he really was vile. He was a horrible person. Horrible person. I'm not, I'm not uh, under any misapprehension that he's changed his spots. I just didn't like him at all. And he threatened all sorts of things. But, uh... As I say, uh, who, who cares? He now doesn't have a contract with Caesar's Palace. They've probably moved on and they'll put somebody else in there. Perhaps a ventriloquist dummy or something. And um, and they're, they're obviously thinking of we can get back together again. But I just don't think there's an, I don't think there's a call for it. You've got to think about these things very carefully. It's not whether you like somebody, whether you don't like them. Because I actually liked Bross. I thought they were great. I thought the image was fantastic, very sexy. You know, they should have they should have got them to strip off for a magazine to sort of try. But they just kind of got stuck where they were. They never moved on. Just two boys from Chertsey. They never moved on enough. Luke went on to make films, but never made it big, big. And uh, and Matt just was sort of playing out his sort of standard songs, wearing a hat to cover the fact that he was bald. He turned up on Five's Company, when we had Five's Company, uh, with his guitar. Always your worst nightmare, isn't it, when somebody brings a guitar and you think, oh, God, he's going to play a guitar. And um, and that was a bit odd. He kept himself to himself. He'd, there was no sort of engaging. 
There's no, there appeared to be no warmth. I didn't see any warmth there at all, which is what you look for in people. And that's why I think it's, it's probably gone a bit pear-shaped. So they're probably thinking now, if we can make five million each, then we can probably live on that for the rest of our lives. But I don't think there's enough people there. I seriously don't think there are enough Bross fans to actually make them £10 million each. Leading Britain's conversation, LBC, with Steve Allen. A Sun writer uh, who subscribed to the uh, the balmy goings-on of Yvette Fielding with Most Haunted. The only thing that's haunted is Yvette Fielding's face. Uh, this particular place is Britain's most haunted building. It's called Bodmin Jail. And apparently, you know, if you go into a certain part of it, you know, they, they, they did a thing with the glass, where the glass moved round. Are you a man? Are you a child? And all this. It's a load of old hooey. It really is the biggest pile of guff you've ever seen in your entire life. Or even red, I'm afraid. The reason it's haunted, one of them, is because um, somebody's running a tour there. And people want to believe in this kind of thing. I've got no idea why. It's generally sort of spirits. There was one woman thrown to her death from the roof on a rope. Many people were thrown off with ropes around their necks and they, they became decapitated. One particular woman here um, was sort of... Uh, she'd done something quite awful and she now... She drowned her disabled son in a well and she's now... Her ghost is said to wander the prison begging women, especially pregnant ones, to forgive her. It's a load of old claptrap. You've never read such a load of old barminess. Uh, the Beast of Bodmin. Oh, this is the um, the Beast of Bodmin. This is m- occasional reports of mutilated livestock and alleged panther-like cats. What a load of old hooey. It's ridiculous, honestly. It's like, you know, hauntings and cats on Bodmin Moor. A phantom cat purported to live in Cornwall. Hello, it's pretty empty, this place. You can't miss it. But uh, they say there are alien big cats. But apparently an escaped big cat would not be reported to the authorities due to the illegality of owning and importing the animals. So they sort of bought them and they had them at home and then they sort of just got rid of them, I suppose. I don't believe it. Like, I don't believe in hauntings at all. And so the reporter here, uh, who's called Antonella Lazeri, has done my terrifying night in Britain's most haunted building. Of course, I'd be more in tune with her if she'd said to me, it's a load of old hooey and they're just lying to you. There are no wailing women wandering the corridors of this prison. There really aren't. Oh, we got a new picture, incidentally, of the Loch Ness Monster. This is a real good photoshopping here. And what it looks to me like is uh, three seals. <laughs> three seals, which they all go after each other, don't they? Of course, somebody said this was uh, an amateur photographer called Ian Bremner driving around the Highlands and uh, he's taken this picture. Three humps emerging from the water, which he thinks could be the Loch Ness Monster. It's seals, you fool. OK, even I can see it's seals. The, uh, the, the only early picture of the Loch Ness Monster is one that was taken on such a shaky old camera that we knew it was fake. You know, the whole thing has been fake from start to finish. There was some... There was some somebody said there's no way... I don't know why they just assumed it was sort of something with a long neck. You know, I mean, this thing must be so old by now. So old. They've just found in a cave in France um, shells shaped into hooks to catch fish, which they reckon could be over 50,000 years old. 50,000 years old. But this one is quite clearly seals. You know, any old fool can see it, but of course they like to believe, don't they? The believers, they want to believe, they want to believe. I was looking at the television the other day and they were sort of showing some beautiful scenery in this country with beaches and everything else. And then you go, and we found this planet out in the solar system that's very similar to us. And they, well, it's got trees on it and everything else. Well, does it look like a mirror image of what we got here? And of course it doesn't. Because it doesn't exist. Like the Loch Ness Monster doesn't exist. Like ghosts don't exist. And don't give me chapter and verse and baloney that you've come up with. Because I'm really not interested. But when you read this reporter and you look at Yvette Fielding, 
who sort of stands there and sort of all of a sudden... Some, what was that? What was that? Anybody else hear that? I heard that. What was it? It's me dropping my phone. OK, just thought I'd explain that to you now, because some people want to believe that there are spirits from another world. The reason that they're still here is they're trapped. Yeah, they're trapped in somebody's tiny little mind. And this one here, they have a guide who takes you round this, uh, this prison. He's a former truck driver. And he's obviously embellished his little story over the years. You know, people have died everywhere. People have died in Leicester Square. I don't see their ghosts wandering around because it's hooey. It's absolute hooey. No such thing. Never existed. You know, shapes gliding through walls. It's rubbish. Most haunted theatre in London is Theatre Royal Drury Lane. I've been there tens of times and I've never seen anything at all. Why? Because there is nothing to see. You know... If, if ghosts existed, you might as well just sit outside a cemetery and watch them rising out of the ground like a Michael Jackson video. They do not exist. Stop telling lies. Yvette Fielding should be taken out and flogged for, for telling us this rubbish every week. She stands there looking like a haunted bat herself and then goes, oh, there's all these... And they always film in the dark. Film in the light. Why do you film in the dark? It's because you can't see what they're doing. You know, oh, that was somebody there. Oh, a door closed by itself. Yeah, because the film man pushed it closed. Don't lie to us. I'm sick to death of people telling lies. She can't prove it. And then Derek Akora gets gets possessed by a dog. Ooh, ooh, you know, hounds of hell. And you look at Derek Akora and you think, oh, God, you're just rubbish, aren't you? It's people want to believe in it, don't they? Takes me back to poor old Sally. He's here, darling, with me. He's here with me on the stage. It's like a sort of a dated Day Medna show, isn't it? It's just, it's just madness, the stuff that we buy into nowadays. And there's another guy there. I think he's dead now. I think he might be Colin Fry. I think Colin Fry died. I'm pretty certain. In, in my dim recesses of my mind, occasionally there'll be a little gem in there. He did die. I thought he did. And, um, and he stands there and he has a little studio audience of people who obviously lost people. You know, not like lost them at the beach. And um, they said here he was an English television personality, uh, entertainer and self-proclaimed medium. His illusions of paranormal capabilities were sustained using basic cold reading techniques. Yes, I mean, it was he actually claimed to have discovered psychic ability from the age of four, which, of course, was a load of old hooey. And uh, he's hosted a number of these programmes. He was exposed uh, when at one time he performed under the stage name of Lincoln, and uh, during a seance, the lights were unexpectedly turned on. He was seen holding a spirit trumpet, which the audience were led to believe was being levitated by spiritual energy, which, of course, is a pile of old rubbish. He'd sit there, though, but it was so vague. So Seriously, they, they obviously on one of the channels, they've got a load of these programmes which they're desperate to shove out there. And you've got people who are sort of obviously desperate to get, make contact with a loved one. I don't think he'd make contact with anybody at all in his career. It was all cold reading. It was sort of, it's just, you know... It was just sort of basic, you know, um, Martin, Martin, you just come up with names out of an audience of 50 people. There's a chance that somebody knows somebody called Martin who passed on. You know, do you know any uh, Martin? Was it a it's a relative, isn't it? You think, well, do you know or do you don't know? Don't start fumbling. You can always tell when it's cold reading when they ask questions. You know, was this somebody who who passed over? I'm getting a feeling here of, of blood. Yeah, they probably cut their finger once. You know, it's it's as easily explained as that. And once they've got a few answers, they're just very good at giving you the old claptrap. Mark says, uh, medium Colin Fry died August last year. No matter what your personal beliefs are, he wrote five best-selling books and had a had a still being. And yeah, so of course, because it's a cheap show. You don't have to pay anybody, do you? And demonstrated capacity audience in theatres all over the world. It was rubbish, Mark. It was rubbish. You always find people like you. It's great, actually. I love finding people like you. I love the people who fall for this. 
you know, five best-selling books. Because people want to believe. People want to believe, don't they? Ridiculous, honestly. Steve, uh, Nicole says, I've been looking at mediums online. He was only 53. Yeah, I bet he never predicted it. Bad news for Mansfield Town FC, who tweeted, events news due to unforeseen circumstances, clairvoyant Trisha will not be appearing in the Kevin Bird suite tomorrow night. Somebody wrote to me once and said, oh, I, I, could, I could, you know, tell you all about your life. I thought, of course you can. I've done it on the programme for the past 40 years. You know everything about me. You know, you know the, the family. They could say, I think your mother passed over. Yep, because I talked about it, you know. And uh, I don't believe she's coming back anytime soon. Well, I don't think so, because we had her cremated. So unless there's any chance of her reforming herself, I think it's highly unlikely. But they just prey on people's lives. But you watch them. You watch them on the television. Watch Colin Fry whenever you see one of his programmes on the television and sort of and listen to what he's saying and, and try and look at it logically and you'll suddenly realise it's a load of old rubbish. It really is. It's so, so vague. All you want to know if somebody's died is that they all want to hear the same thing, that they're happy the other side and, you know, it's good that you've still got the wardrobe. Right, brilliant. All they want to know is, where's the money? Where is the money? Where did they hide the money? We used to have a medium on LBC. Sold for entertainment purposes. That's what it is. It's entertainment. They don't actually have any gift of talking to the other side, unless, of course, you particularly want to buy into cold reading. You have to try and explain to people what cold reading is. You know, it's where they ask you questions and you give them all the answers that they want. Cold reading is easy to do. Easy peasy to do. I've got no end of... uh, Uh, books in my collection on cold reading. That's where you don't have to know anything at all, but you can tell somebody everything about their life. Magicians do it all the time. Steve Allen on LBC. I have to confess, I had a dream about the producer. The producer featured in one of my dreams. The Australian producer featured in a dream. No, it was you. And you know what it was? I don't know how this ever came about. I I was in my dream, and I have very vivid dreams. And I bought a house. And it's down the road from here. It, it is actually up for sale. I've mentioned it before. It's 16 million. Next to it is another house, which is 16 and a half million. And they're literally opposite uh, Westminster Abbey. They're just in a little close there where Charles Dickens used to live, one of the many places. And uh, they've been done up. They've got lifts and everything else in there. And for some reason, in my dream, the producer said to me, uh, can I come back to your place for something to eat? And so I go... Yeah, okay, And so I pick him up in the car. He's impressed immediately. We go back there and he walks in the front door. And of course, coming from Mooney Ponds in in Australia, he's never seen houses like this before. A lift, a staircase, beautiful chandelier. And he goes to me, oh, cripe, Steve, is this really your place? He thought I was winding him up. And so anyway, so I I then say to him, "What, what would you like to eat? And it's at that moment I woke up in a blind panic and a sweat because I didn't really know where the dream was going. And I did try to go back to sleep and try and pick up where I'd left off with the dream, and it didn't happen. Have you ever done that? You know, you, you have a dream, you wake up, then you go back to sleep again, and you're back where you started in the dream. There was, there was, nothing, there was no food in the house. There was nothing in there. I just had booze for you. And, 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 and he wanted to go and sit in the garden outside, and I said, no, it's better to stay inside, because it was winter. That's all I remember about it. I but I just remember he was very, very impressed with the house. And he then, because he, he was working. And so he then came back in here and everybody said to me, he came out and he was saying, oh, Steve, mate, your house is unbelievable. You want to see Steve Allen's house? He's got, you know, six bedrooms and he's got three kitchens and he's got a lift in there. And people are going, yeah. And he's going, no, seriously, I've been in there. One of the few people to see the inside of Steve Allen's place. And, um, and, and it was but very odd when you wake up and you're not sure if it's happened or... 
I'm psychic, and that's an indicator of the fact I'm going to win the lottery. Because we, we, we discussed psychic ability before. Because you sit there sometimes, like the other day. I thought, I was sitting at home, and I thought, oh, I've not heard from a friend of mine, Chris, who's over in, uh, in uh, Spain at the moment. Blow me down. Within a second, the phone clicked into life, and it was him sending me a text. Psychic Steve. Sally Morgan. Poo. Poo. Steve Allen. Yeah. I mean, I, I can predict all sorts of things now, mainly to do with my own life. Steve Allen on LBC. I did my interview with Daniel Radcliffe, and he's charming as always. He's always, he's very down to earth. There's no airs and graces with Daniel Radcliffe. People always say to me, what's he really like? I said, he's absolutely charming. You won't find anybody who is more charming than Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, I, you know, I meet lots and lots of people. Considering how rich he is and how successful he is as a, as a brand... Um, he's, he's unaffected. Whether he leaves the building and goes, right, you come here, do this, and, and, you know, I don't know. But I never see that side of him. He's perfect in every way. Anyway, so I do my interview with him, and, um, and he, was, he was fantastic. And then in comes one of our other radio stations to do their interview. When I do mine, there's just me and the producer, Mark. Mark, Mark drives the desk. I just sit there and try and be entertaining and witty and funny and drag the best out of them, which I always manage to do, I think. And, uh... And so, after I'd finished the interview, the door opens and in comes the team from one of our sister stations, Hart. And I get Jamie Theakston, who was terribly rude to me. Terribly He made some comment or something. Anyway, we, we get on fine, we get on fine. And Emma Bunton, who said, he shouldn't speak like that to you, Steve. She looked gorgeous yesterday. She was, Emma Bunton looks fantastic. And then they had their, their producer, Nigel. And then there was somebody else who was, de- I've never seen so many, but there was like an entourage that came from them. I'm just little old Steve Allen. We just sort of turn up, we do the interview, then we toddle off again. But uh, we do have Justin Timberlake coming in next week on the programme. Today, we have Jane Seymour coming in and Darren Brown as well. Darren Brown, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might give the book to the producer. It's called How to Be Happy. It's, uh, it's sort of, a, see, banging your head now. You don't know what's going on, do you? You don't know where you are. Where you are. It's very careful. You're a very precious little thing. And uh, also, he's, he's, he's quite sort of fragile. And, uh, and the book, it's quite a big book. In fact, it's very thick. I mean, what's that, about three inches? Something like that? And it's, a, it's, it's just on how to be happy. I thought, I thought the idea of how to be happy was sort of two large bottles of Prosecco and a hot dog. You know, that's about, you don't need anything else written on the page. Or failing that, congratulations, you've won the jackpot on the lottery. That, that would be happiness for me. But then I could, when you actually analyse it, when you analyse what's happy, I don't know what happy is. I spend most of my life in a state of sort of semi-happiness. I mean, I don't walk around laughing uproariously. That would have me arrested for some psychological problem. But I am, I'm a relatively happy person. And it doesn't take much to make me happy. Seriously, I've just got to have some nice food, bottle of Prosecco, television, telephone. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. Oh, and some good DVDs to watch. And that's it. But he's done a whole book on how to be happy, on analysing what is happiness. Are people happy? I mean, is the producer happy? Of course he's not. Of course he's not happy. Not if you actually analyse it, because he looks with envy. I mean, I don't like to use that term loosely, but he looks with envy at other people who are doing better than he is. You know, somebody who's, who's got more to offer somebody. You know, he doesn't have a lot to offer. He was telling me he was in a lift with, with somebody the other day. He was telling me he was in a lift with this person who he, who he really likes. And what... Well, no good telling me something and then going, shh, like that. Shouldn't have told me, should you? You know me, Gobby Allen. I'll tell everybody. You've got no secrets on this programme. No secrets. 
Anyway, in a minute, I'll, I'll tell you who the person was he was with the lift in the lift with. Of course I will. What are you going to do? Push the button on it? Well, you shouldn't have told me. Why would you tell me? A competitor? Well, I don't know. She's not a competitor to me. Certainly not a competitor to me. Anyway, so he, he really likes this uh, this girl. And, uh, and I said, well, you don't stand a cat in earthly chance. And then he mentioned somebody else who he likes. We were talking about um, people of a certain age. And he's going to throw himself out the window in a minute, I think. And uh, open the window now. Just see how far the drop is the other side. Would it actually just maim you? Or would you sort of end up with a broken arm or something? But it, it's interesting. What is happiness? Is happiness the chase of chasing after somebody? And then finally they go, all right, I'll go out with you, if, no, if nothing else, to keep you quiet. You know, is that then happiness? Or is happiness, you know, having a great job? Or is happiness having a nice car? And to having a nice place to live? Nice friends? What's hap- I don't know what happiness is. I'm going to have to find out from Darren Brown what the definition of happiness is. Because I, I, I get sort of various fluxes within sort of happiness on a scale of sort of like between five and ten. I start off happy all the time. Because unless you've got a miserable existence, why would you be unhappy? You can only be happy, can't you? I don't, it's, it's like they say, money can't bring you happiness. And you go, well, no. But you're assuming that you're miserable before you win the money. And I'm assuming if you're miserable before you win the money and then you win a load of money, then you're going to be happy, aren't you? So that means money can buy you happiness. But if, if I won money, it's not going to change anything. I'm still going to be exactly the same person, miserable to Z-list celebrities and things like that. But that's, that's what makes me happy. I like walking around this building in the daytime and the amount of people that say hello to me, it's like you've got a million and one friends. Vernon Kay passed me on the stairs the other day. He said, you all right? I went, I think so, and he laughed. I'm not sure what sort of laugh it was. It might have been a happy laugh. It might have been a miserable laugh. I don't know. Producer, I know, harbours secret thoughts, you know, which make him happy. And that's, and that's nice, isn't it, really? If not a bit scary, but luckily we've got the door locked in here. Steve Allen on LBC. Well, the good news is, uh, Jerry in Selsey says, an hour to save your life. He survived, although he lost his spleen. What's that mean? <laughs> I'm not medically qualified to understand about that. But uh, I, I, I like the idea that he survived. I was so worried that you sort of get to the end of one of these programmes and they go, sadly, so-and-so didn't make it. Because I think the staff of the NHS are dealing with that on a daily basis. They're literally dealing with, uh, you know, people dying in front of them. And they have to be a bit, not hardened to it, but they can't get emotionally involved. So when I... Uh, I've told you the story of my dad dying because... I had a car full of people. We had a big LBC party uh, for 600 in the Strand Palace Hotel. When we were doing the overnight programme, we used to have these parties every so often. And the last one was 600 people. And so I've got four people in my little mini. And, uh, and we're pootling home. And I said, I'll tell you what, let's just nip in so people can use the toilet. And I'll run people back to where they were going to. So that was fine. So we get to my, my place. We all sort of rush in to use the loo. And I had an answer phone. Remember the days of an answer phone? Actually, a physical box with a flashing light and twin tapes in it. I mean, nowadays, it's all built in as chips on the phone and everything else. And it was a message from the hospital. Oh, hello, Stephen. This is St Stephen's Hospital. Uh, Can you give us a ring? And so I thought, Anyway, so I phoned the hospital. And and they were quite matter-of-fact about it. She said, oh, hello, Stephen. Uh, She said, uh, just to let you know, your father's just died. So, of course, it's like, it's that bolt out of the blue, isn't it? It's that like, what? What? Didn't even know he was ill. And so I said, right, where are you? I'm not thinking. I'm, I've kind of, I've got these people in, in my flat and I'm not kind of thinking straight. 
And so I said, we've all got to go back into town. My dad's died. And so we all pile back in the car, and I'm, like, jumping red lights. I'm seriously jumping red lights. Because I couldn't work out where I was going. As it turns out, St Stephen's is in Chelsea. And so, and I said to them, they all came into the hospital. And I said, you're going to have to make your own way home from here. So that they all pootled off. And I then went and see, uh, saw my mum. And uh, she was in a terrible state. And, and, you do, and then the nurse comes in and says, would you like a cup of tea and everything? And I said, uh, I can't remember if I said yes or no. I don't think I was thinking about anything at all. And it all just becomes this, this blur because the staff are dealing with trying to save people's lives. When, once somebody's died, there's not a lot they can do. They just have to move them to the mortuary. Mum didn't want to go and see Dad, so I went to see him. You know, you do that. You just do that to make sure that somebody's OK. I don't know why. You just do it. And, uh, and, and you feel sorry for them. So when you watch these television programmes, they're dealing with life and... And death bringing children into the world and saying farewell to some people and it's just it's got to go on you can't just sort of stop there and everybody breaks down it's, it, it must be a really difficult situation to be in so I always thought that they handle it really really well I'm of course rubbish at doing it but I am I am quite expert at sort of dealing with grief I think I think I've sort of dealt with it quite well over the years unlike Prince Harry God there's a Lincoln arm off it's unbelievable Prince Harry who said that he had a colour sergeant in the army who was with him, who sort of talked him through his mother's death. Because when Diana died, he was only 12. You know, when my dad died and my mum died, I was sort of considerably older, so I didn't need somebody to talk me through it. It was quite nice that there was a friend of mine at work, Derek, and his uh, one of his parents had died, so we sort of swapped funeral stories, which you do. Don't ask me why we do it, we just do it. And, uh, and we get through. We get through, don't we? Because, you know, you live to fight another day. And Harry sort of emerged the other side... It's funny that he's talking about it now at the age of 32, as opposed to all these other years. But he mentioned the colour sergeant. And you know what the first thing I thought was? Why didn't he talk to his dad? But, of course, his dad didn't like his mum. He had the children, but, of course, he was off with, with Camilla. So, you know, you'd never be asking Prince Charles for any sort of guidance on how to get over the death of your mother. Steve Allen on LBC. Somebody wrote to me about uh, a drag queen from years and years ago. It was about uh, a drag queen in London. Because somebody said, how about drag queen bake-off? I think that'd be quite good. I quite like that idea as well. But this was about a drag queen called Candy Dubarry. Candy Dubarry was very famous on the circuit of a, of a particular time. And again, used to use this, uh, this strobe lighting, which seemed to be very popular at the time. They used to have to put out a warning saying, you know, it's got the... Uh, it's got strobe lighting. You've just got to be very careful about it. And I got a, an email from somebody who obviously knew Candy Dubarry. This is one from Brian, who says um, there are several clips of him on YouTube. And one of them starts with uh, all these things. He said, so he must be in the great black cap in the sky. Uh, at the time, my best friend was a drag act called Perry Sinclair. Uh, now, of course, you know who Perry Sinclair is, don't you, everybody? Because uh, that was Patrick Fife who went on to become Dame Hilda Brackett. Uh, he said, sadly, no longer with us, but Dr Evadne Hinge, George Logan survives and runs a guest house in France. He does, with his partner, because he came in on my programme. Came in on my programme. Uh, came all the way over, because I'd been to see Hinge and Brackett on many, many occasions. Do you remember there was a great opera uh, conductor, and somebody said, after seeing Hinge and Brackett, uh, they said, so what, what, what did you think of the ladies? And he went, oh, it is so sad when ladies get to a certain age and they, they can't sing as well as they could do. And somebody said, they're men. And he went, oh, really? They're fantastic. And they were. Hinge and Brackett were just amazing. 
But uh, Brian, who's in Bangkok, says, did you ever see the Trollettes? Yes. He said, David Raven has just turned 80 and he still performs in, uh, in Brighton. He says, I lost contact with his acts when I moved to Amsterdam and thence to Bangkok. However, until a couple of years ago, Maisie Trollette, which was David, used to come over to Thailand and did some shows in our Bangkok bar as a double with Phil Starr. Good God, I remember seeing Phil Starr. Remember the Firebirds? I used to go and see the Firebirds. He says, your programme certainly sent me back into the hours of reminiscing, going back as far as Gay Travers in the Earl of Aberdeen and Queenie Watts at Dan Farson's Waterman Arms. Well, happy memories. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.